This week on Missions Today. The trigger point was the fact that people understood that the gospel is relevant to them within their own context and within their own culture. And that is why language ministry, Bible translation, language development, literacy, all of these things are so critical if you want people to really embrace Christianity and embrace Jesus Christ in a way that is deep and that is meaningful to them. Language, it's something that most of us in the West rarely think about. We're taught English from our earliest days and most everything we encounter in life is encountered in English. Now, imagine you live somewhere in the world where your opportunities to receive an education, learn about business, even learn about God only come through a language you don't speak. This is something billions of people across the globe deal with all the time. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. Our guest this week, Dr. Michelle Kinmonier, grew up in Cameroon speaking his native language. But when his education began, it was all in French. What was a personal experience for Dr. Kinmonier, God molded into a lifelong interest in linguistics and ultimately a ministry using language to share the good news of the gospel. Dr. Kemonye serves as the executive director of SIL International. We connect with him online at his home in Germany. Dr. Kemonye, welcome to Missions Today. Yes, thank you very much, Colin. It's really my pleasure to be on your program on this day. Let's start with language. When did language become something that you thought about purposefully or intentionally in your life? It just started when I started my education. You imagine speaking my mother tongue, which is a Cameroonian language, uh, all the all the way to the age of six, and then going to school for the first time and being exposed to education in French, a language that I did not understand at all. So language became an issue for me because I realized I could do anything in my own mother tongue, but here was I in the classroom feeling completely dull and, and ignorant simply because of the issue of language. This is something people all over the world experience, and I know it's something that your ministry is focused on. It can become a barrier. Exactly. That's that's the issue, and that's why SI exists, in order to reduce those language barriers or in order to build language bridges that can enable the people to have access to the information and the knowledge that they need in order to thrive in all respects. And this is knowledge about uh, about God. This is knowledge about just the, the, the necessities of life. I want to talk a little bit about your life, and then we're going to come back to the ministry. Tell me how you came to faith in Christ. Where did that happen along your journey? I grew up in a, in a family, in a home where my parents were African traditional religion worshippers, so we didn't go to church at all. And uh, the church was actually even a novel concept in our community where the church had arrived just a few decades before I was born. And uh, we grew up not going to church and just offering uh, sacrifices to ancestors to hope to please them in order to find peace and joy or whatever. And that was something that kept me in a system of fear through my whole life because I was always afraid of things that would harm me and so on. And that was my life until when I was about 19 years old and uh, entering university. 
uh, and being far away from my parents uh, in the city where uh, in the university I came across the InterVarsity Fellowship on the campus and got exposed to the gospel and to the good news about Jesus Christ, which was indeed a liberating news for me, which really set me free from my fear, from my captivity, and from all the things that had kept me uh, in the darkness for so long. And that was my early, early encounter with uh, Christianity and with Jesus. As you began this new faith journey and began to experience that freedom from fear and that opportunity to to maybe expand your your vision of what was possible, uh, were you thinking about ministry as you began your career? Is that something that came later? How did that develop? When I became a believer, I didn't think of full-time ministry as being something I may involve myself in. But I understood that any disciple of Jesus Christ has to be a, a living testimony of the gospel. And uh, right from my student days, I was very much involved in, in, in ministry in terms of evangelism to my classmates, to my, I mean, anyone I could meet, you know, when you just discovered the good news and, and wonder how come that this news was hidden from me for, for so many years. You want to just share it with anybody. That was my life uh, until, I mean, in the when I was on the, in the university, then uh, I pursued my studies to an, an MA level at first and took professional training to become a government teacher, a, a high school government teacher of uh, French language and literature. And that was it uh, for about five years. And it was a very fulfilling period of life for me because I was in contact with students, young people that I could share the gospel with through my life and through uh, the opportunities that I could get in that way. But God did have his own purposes that I was not aware of at that time, because exactly around the time that I was about to start my career as a high school teacher, we happened to be praying with a group of friends. And one of the friends had a surprising uh, message that he said he received from God for me. Uh, the message was that he sensed God saying that I would have to serve him in Bible translation. That was in 1991. In 1994, uh, the director of the what is known in Cameroon as the Wycliffe organizations, like Wycliffe Bible Translators in the USA, he reached out to me in the city where I was teaching to say, we would like to meet you. So the weeks that followed, I went to meet the director of that organization. And he just said something very simple to me. He said something like, really, we've been praying for God to raise up young people who can serve him through language and Bible translation ministry in this country. And as we've prayed over the years, we thought about you. And we want to ask you to also pray if the Lord may be calling you to such a ministry. But my wife was not really in that in that mood. So my wife said, really, I'm not sure that is the direction. And then I was perplexed. So I wondered, how can I get involved in ministry if my wife would not be in one accord with me? So at that point in time, I just said, okay, Lord, if you do call me, you would have to convince my wife and speak to her and make it clear to both of us that that's the direction. 
And a few months later, as we were preparing to have our first kid, we were preparing for parenting and we went to follow a seminar. As we followed the seminar, one person who was supposed to speak on children evangelism really went off topic and started to say things like, there are Bibleless people in this very country. There are people who are illiterate, people with no knowledge of God's word, people with no ability to read. And it will require linguists. It will require people who can go and incarnate and walk alongside them in order to bring them to a place where they can have access to God's word in their own language. And I was there listening with my wife, and I was wondering what's going on here. And that evening when we went back home, my wife asked me, did you hear what that preacher said? I said, of course, and that was odd because that was off topic. She said, why did he say that? And then she said, well, I believe he was speaking to me. Let's pray and take a step of faith to serve the Lord. And we prayed that night. And the next day, I was ready. I wrote to the organization in Cameroon and said, I'm joining. I'm ready. And that's how a long story, but that's that's how I got, got in. Uh, that's, that's incredible. It's amazing how God communicates to us and his timing and everything. It's, uh, it's different in everybody's life and experience and journey. Tell me about your time with Wycliffe, maybe what you took away from that time. What, what impacted you during those years with Wycliffe? Joining Wycliffe in Cameroon was uh, really a new start in my life. And actually around that time, uh, I had uh, also started while I was teaching. I was working on a PhD program in linguistics. And uh, when I joined Wycliffe, Wycliffe felt, yeah, it would be good for you to complete that program because linguistics is so critical for uh, serving the communities of people who speak other languages than the wider known languages of the world. The language on which I did my PhD thesis called uh, Bakoko, in a language in which I created the writing system and so on, that language has gone on to have a translation of the New Testament, which is getting completed just this year. So I, I feel very grateful to the Lord that some of the contribution of my work on the, that language is bearing that fruit in terms of creating access to God's word for the Bakoko people of Cameroon. So from the time I joined in that way, so I first served as a linguist and very soon was drawn into leadership where uh, I got to be, I became the director of uh, field programs and having to uh, kind of plan and develop strategies for developing languages, doing Bible translation, literacy, education, multilingual education. By multilingual education, I mean helping children to begin education in the language that they speak at home so that they can transition more, more harmoniously to the languages of wider communication. So those were the things that I did for about five years and was further drawn into leadership and became the director of what was known as Wycliffe in Cameroon. Served in that role for about eight years and was asked to take the lead of such organizations across Francophone Africa 
And I became the director of Weekly for Francophone Africa for those many years. And during that time, it was really a time of vision building. And it was in the midst of serving in that role that I was nominated to be considered as a leader for SIL International, which came to be the case in 2016 when I got appointed into this role. It's incredible to see how God wove all of that together to get you to where you are now. Tell us a little bit about SIL, maybe a little of the history of the organization. You know, uh, our founder, William Cameron Townsend, during the First World War, went to Guatemala to, to sell the Bibles to the people. And that was to him the best way to help the people come to know God. And he sold the Bibles in Spanish trusting and believing that everybody would just understand, pick and read, until he was challenged by a young Indian who told him, you know what, we can't read in Spanish, and we have no education in order to be able to even gain a status in the society because the Latinos are like the higher class and we are the, the low class of the society. And because we don't know about the, the message of that Bible, we are kept by superstitions and all kinds of issues like that. It was what prompted Cameron Townsend to say, selling the Bibles in Spanish would not make the point. Then he decided to instead work on developing one of the languages of Guatemala called Taxical and translated the Bible, the New Testament into the Taxical language for the first time. And when he completed that translation, he started to think of other communities around of that, which were in the same situation. So he went back to the US and started a summer institute of linguistics in order to train other people who would go out and do the same thing that he did. So in 1934, he started SIL and it was a way for him, in the first year, he just had two students who were foolish enough to follow him in that crazy vision. And uh, he trained them and sent them out. The following year, he had four or five students, and that's how it grew. Today, SI has more than 4,000 staff around the world, and we are working on more than 1,600 languages all around the world. And SIL is the organization that handles the database of all the languages of the world, which, which we update each year. And we also hold consultative uh, status with UNESCO, where we consult uh, UNESCO on issues of language and education and literacy. So, so much that is happening with SIL because we see language as, as, a, as a bridge that can enable us to serve all the aspects of God's ministry, of God's mission. So language enables Bible translation, language enables adequate literacy, language enables good access to health, language enables a good understanding of God's creation. Language also furthers the diversity of the creation, which makes the world so beautiful. And that is why SIL is here to serve. In Africa, I know, and, and probably other continents as well, but across Africa, I know one of the challenges, even with Bible translation, is that 
Um, many in the culture are oral learners. They don't have a written language or they don't read. Is SIL part of that effort to move people from a, a spoken or oral only language to be able to read in their language and understand things like the Bible? Yes, indeed, indeed. We have been, uh, that has been our ministry throughout most of the languages like mine. My language, the language I was, I grew up speaking was an oral language until a, a writing system was created in it. And now materials, scripture, and any other uh, material can be developed in that language. So that is what SIL stands for. But we also realize that not everybody may have a chance to become literate in life. That is why we more and more emphasize oral strategies in order to reach out to the people sooner than later. So uh, with, in partnership with uh, other organizations like Faith Comes by Hearing, which has recently come up with a very uh, efficient tool called Render, we also do oral Bible translations. And with oral Bible translations, we can create uh, Bible stories. We can create the scriptures in oral form that people can use without having to need the skill of literacy to actually have access to God's Word. That's powerful. And uh, again, making a difference in people's lives where they are, at what level they are, introducing them to God's Word and to God's story, but also making sure that they have access to all of the things they need in their society to be able to fully realize what God has created them to do. It is amazing. I don't think most of us in the West look at language in such a way. In fact, you know, uh, you as we began the program, you talked about English being your third or fourth language. Uh, makes most of us in the West very embarrassed that that we can barely speak English, much less uh, any other uh, language. So uh, I certainly appreciate your engagement with language. And, and I think it's something people in the West need to learn and understand uh, this need that SIL provides, because it is so critical throughout other parts of the world where that need for language and understanding of language is so critical just to do the basics of life. The story of my own father coming to the faith in Christ was the story of language. Because for a number of years, I was the first believer in my whole family because, as I said, we were worshippers of a traditional religion. But when I became a believer, for a long time, my father felt like, oh yeah, well, you are lost. You have chosen to follow a foreign religion, but the real religion is our religion. But when the scriptures were translated into our language, there was a local evangelist who would go out in the village and reach out to the people using the mother tongue to explain the scriptures to the people. And that local evangelist started to befriend my father. One day I got to the village and met the evangelist and we got talking with my father and he was able to use the cultural idioms and the language we speak in order to bring the gospel, to bring the understanding of the gospel and the good news of the death of Christ on the cross to my father in a way that nothing else would have done it. He said something like this. He told my father, you know what? We are all sinful people. We are all lost because of the bad things that we do. 
Therefore, God cannot have any relationship with us. And he said, ask my father, can you claim that you are righteous and that you've never done anything wrong? My father said, of course, I can't. Then he went on to say, but you know that in our culture, when people have done something wrong, there is a ritual that needs to be performed in order to, to achieve the forgiveness of their sin and bring reconciliation. And my father said, yes, indeed. But the evangelist went on to say, but even that ritual that we do within our culture falls short of God's expectation for what we can do to be righteous in his sight. So there's nothing we can do. Then my father said, well, that means we are, we are all desperate. But the evangelist said, but God provided his own ritual through which we can be reconciled with him. And that ritual is his own son that he gave and who died on the cross so that if you accept God's ritual for reconciliation, then you can be reconciled with him. But if you reject it, there's no other way for you. And he went on to ask my father, would you accept God's offer of reconciliation? And my father thought for a while and he said, did you finally tell me that God has only one son? And the evangelist said, indeed, yes. Then my father said, that means if I reject his offer of reconciliation, if he has no other son to give again to the cross for me, then the evangelist said, you are right. Then he said, well, how can I turn it down? And that's when my father came to accept Christ in his life. And I didn't know that for an old man, because he was almost 80 years old at the time, and he began to go to church. And then a few months later, he told me at Easter, I want to be baptized. And he invited the entire family and his friends and so on. And we accompanied him to church. He got baptized. And he told the family, a new life has begun for me. And he told my family, I thought that worshiping God was something what was about sacrifices to be offered to ancestors under the trees. But I've understood that it's about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, Colin, that I had been a believer for close to 20 years by that time. But I think it is my father's conversion that kind of provided a breakthrough into my whole family. And now we have more people who have turned to the Lord. And when I think of the trigger point, the trigger point was the fact that people understood that the gospel is relevant to them within their own context and within their own culture. And that is why language ministry, Bible translation, language development, literacy, all of these things are so critical if we want people to really embrace Christianity and embrace Jesus Christ in a way that is deep and that is meaningful to them. And that's why I'm motivated in this ministry. Language, what an incredibly powerful tool. And you've gotten to be right in the middle of seeing God at work through those languages. Finally, and we're out of time, but finally, uh, how can we pray for you and your team? Yes, so much to pray for. Uh, I would say today we look around the world, we still have a uh, about 300 language communities that are unreached and where the access to the people is restricted by various factors. I would say, please pray for us that God will open the way for those communities of people to also have a language ministry started in their own communities as well. 
I would also request prayer for God to raise many, many more people to join in this ministry. This is not a short-term kind of ministry that you do in three months or two couple of years and then you're done. This is a ministry that requires a long-haul commitment. And we, we are praying for people who can commit to serve in the long haul in, in this kind of ministry. And of course, we definitely appreciate people who can come alongside us with the financial support that is needed in order to carry out this ministry because the things we do in order to provide the language ministry, it also requires all the language technology, the software that we create in order to make the writing of the languages possible. It requires all kinds of resources and finances are indeed very, very valuable in making us successful in this ministry. So I would say, so much to be prayed for, but so much also to be grateful to the Lord about because we see the Lord at work. We see the church growing around the world. We see people gaining dignity because their languages have a sense of value. We see people declaring, we now acknowledge that we too are people with equal rights with other people because our languages are also acknowledged. And I believe this is language in that way helps the people to recover their dignity as people created in God's image. And that is why we are really excited and stimulated every day to pursue what God is doing all around the world. What a powerful, powerful ministry. Language. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to talk with a man who leads a ministry focused on the unreached in global gateway cities. Hey, if you've enjoyed the podcast today, please like it, rate it, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us out, exposes this great content to others as well. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.